We want to look at the attributes of mercy, kindness, and peace. This is the attributes of God, part eight. We come to our final study of the God of the Bible and the attributes of God uh, as we look at these last three moral attributes of God that are communicable. By no means have we done an exhaustive study of God's attributes by any stretch of the imagination, but the 15 attributes that we have studied, plus the final three of our study tonight, should give us a good perspective regarding the quality and the character of God. Hopefully, we also have a clear and more accurate knowledge of who God is, his greatness, his eternal essence as creator through his attributes that are incommunicable, that he alone possesses, as well as those that are now communicable to us. And so, um, this greater understanding, both again, even to the moral attributes that um, are communicable, uh, the blessing we have, the privilege we have to be able to manifest a godlike life that is separated from our sin nature that couldn't come from there. It's through the new birth, it's through our depending on Him and Him alone. And so the final three attributes we want to look at, mercy, kindness, and patience. Now as we go through these three attributes, bear with me because sometimes it will seem like there is um, very little difference between them, yet they do vary in their use and application. Um, you will also note that through the course of our study, we have used some scriptures for more than one attribute because they cross over and they're included in there. And maybe that it gives more than one attribute or it may convey the benefit of more than one attribute. So you look at the context and how we're using that. Let's begin with the attribute of mercy. The attribute of God's mercy is usually related to a person in misery or distress. Mercy speaks of God's innate desire to pity to succor the needy, to meet the help they need. The book of Exodus depicts the attribute of mercy very vividly in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Listen. And the Lord Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh God Elohim, mercy and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The mercy of God, compassion, graciousness, that's God. Mercy is less than we deserve. Law is what we deserve. Grace is unmerited favor, what we don't deserve at all. Another way of looking at mercy is that it is the attribute by which God imparts to us, again, less than we deserve in terms of judgment or guilt. You remember, if you're old enough to remember the old um, uh, buccaneer movies of Errol Flynn and stuff like that, and uh, when someone's defeated in a duel or something, and they cry, mercy, mercy. 
less. They weren't asking for justice. But they knew that they were enemies or were trying to kill the other guy. And now now that they're vulnerable to be killed, they cry out mercy. Less than they deserve. Mercy was um, demonstrated by not giving less than the 50 uh, or the 40 lashes, the stripes required by the law for certain crimes. They would give um, minus one, 39 40 minus 139, lest he be humiliated before the brethren, Deuteronomy 25, 3 says. So 40 was judgment. 39 was mercy, minus 1. And a relief by pity when in distress or misery, and mercy is a branch of God's goodness. As we have noted last time, less than a person, once again, deserves In the book of Numbers, Numbers 14, verse 18, uh, we get another reference to this attribute. He says, the Lord Yahweh is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this is the second one kind of almost word by word from Exodus 20. The Exodus um, previous that we read there. Now, God does not clear guilty people. He is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's patient. And he knows how long that person will receive the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. He deals with individuals' heart. But he is never permissive at all. And when he sees the heart bowing, Humbling himself for God. God is merciful. But take note that in both Exodus and Numbers here, the, the emphasis is on by no means clearing the guilty. You must be careful not to think of God's mercy as God being permissive or partaking with a person's sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says that God's with pure eyes and to um, condone any evil in any sense of permission or just allowing it to take place. He's a holy God. He must judge it. And so sometimes people look at the scriptures and where God would, um, let's say David, when he should have, he committed adultery, the law said he should have been stoned. And as he, God saw his heart, his repentance, his brokenness, God forgave him. Mercy. Now, we have a problem with that, but God makes no mistakes in judgments because he looks at the heart. And so we have to be real careful. We must see mercy as God's gracious goodness to pity the sinner in his or her misery in time of need. The book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16, that is given to us as Christians to come before the throne of grace to find mercy in time of need. Now, There are various words throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament that convey the attribute of God's mercy. Let me give you three of the most common words used. First, there's the word for mercy, which is hesed. In its root meaning, kindness, eagerness, it is also expressive of faithful devotion to a covenant. It's a covenant word. Better, a good translation would be loving kindness of God. Jacob says, 
this to God as his brother Esau is coming with 400 men, if you remember in Genesis 32.10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I cross over Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. He acknowledges his unworthiness for the mercies of God. In Psalm 25, 7, he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord Yahweh. That's David. He's saying, remember not the sins of my youth. Sometimes we think of David being sinless, just always a real righteous guy. This is his youth he's talking about. Amazing. The word gracious is the second word, kanan. The root means to bend, stoop, incline, and kind to one inferior. A heartfelt response by someone who has something to give to one who has need. But you, O Lord, Psalm 86, 15, are a God of full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. All three words are present in this verse I just gave you. In fact, mercy and pity even accompanies an attitude and a posture and a tone. When you see a person so maybe injured or, or, or just in a situation that's so horrible, you, you even bow down to them. You crouch down and, 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 and compare, are you okay? It's, it's that sense of empathy, sympathy, and a desire to help. The word compassion, rakan, has the idea of the womb and motherly feelings towards the child. Deuteronomy 13, 17 says, So none of the accused things shall remain in your hand, or I'm sorry, the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord Yahweh may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. The word compassion is the word rakan. Now, throughout the New Testament, the word mercy and compassion is also found. The words are two, ilio and ilios. And they are used to convey the idea of compassion and sympathy once again to one in need. The word mercy again means kindness or good will towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them and by acting on it. It's not just an expression. The word can be used of man towards man to exercise the virtue of mercy, to show one's self-merciful towards someone. The word can be used of God towards men in general providence, the mercy and clemency of God in providing for the unbeliever. The word is used of the believer who has obtained mercy to show all the long-suffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him 
for everlasting life. There are many things stated about God's attribute of mercy in the scripture. Let me give you some. In Psalm 89.1, we are to sing of the mercies of the Lord. Psalm 145.9, we are to know that his tender mercies are over all his works. In Psalm 103.11, Luke 150, his mercies are over them that fear him. In Isaiah 54.7, we are told that with great mercies he will gather Israel. In Lamentations 3.22, we are to understand that it is God's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. In Matthew 5.7, the believer is to be merciful to others and they shall obtain mercy. In Luke 1.78, we are told that it is through God's mercy that Jesus the day spring visited us. In Romans 9.15, his mercy and compassion is sovereign. Mercy is the basis for Paul's pleading that the Romans present their body a living sacrifice in Romans 12.1. I beg you by the mercies of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Paul calls God the father of mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Having received mercy, we are not to faint. 2 Corinthians 4.1. We are told that God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2.4. We are told that it was according to his mercy that he saved us in Titus 3.5. We are to come to God boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need in Hebrews 4.16. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2.13 tells us. God's wisdom is full of mercy, James 3.17 tells us. We are to long for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude, verse 21, there's only one chapter. And throughout the New Testament, greetings, mercy, follows grace and is one of the triplets, grace, mercy, and peace in the opening greeting. And the attribute of God's mercies are described as tender in Psalm 25, 6, great in Isaiah 54, 7, sure in Isaiah 55, 3, new every morning in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, and abundant in 1 Peter 1, 3. Is that enough for you about mercy? We serve a merciful God. And yet how often men charge God foolishly. Certainly the non-believer, but at times believers do. In a dream, a man sinned and confessed it to the Lord. Ten minutes later, he committed the same sin. And he muttered, Oh, God, there I went again. A big, booming voice came out of the cloud. Did what? That is God's mercy to forget our sin. Less than we deserve. 
Now, we must be careful not to conclude that it doesn't matter to God if we keep on sinning. No. God cannot forget. He knows everything. He cannot learn anything. And he chooses sovereignly to forgive the sin and forget it when we confess it from the heart. Wow. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So this is the um, moral attribute of mercy that is communicable and imparted to us that we might impart mercy to others. If you like receiving mercy, then you're a debtor to be merciful to others. Secondly comes kindness. The attribute of God's kindness is that attribute which describes God's pity and good deeds. Again, a little overlap, but a little different. The same word hesed or, uh, is used in the Old Testament for kindness, as well as loving kindness that I said before, which is used for mercy. There would seem to be very little difference between mercy and kindness, yet mercy is describing pity and compassion to one in distress or mercy uh, or misery. But kindness and loving kindness is not limited to those negative conditions of misery always. The word hesed is a key word for the Old Testament, as I said, synonymous with the attribute of God's faithfulness. The word loving kindness, hesed, appears some 248 times and we find it in the mouth of Jonah, the prophet. Listen to him. The book of Jonah declares, So he prayed to the Lord Yahweh and said, Oh, Lord Yahweh, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in, here it is, loving kindness, hesed. One who relents from doing harm, Jonah 4.2. See, Jonah ran not because he didn't know his God. He ran away from God because he knew his God. He knew his God would be merciful if the Syrians repented, and they did. Jonah didn't want them to repent. Jonah didn't mind receiving mercy and kindness. He just didn't like giving it out. God was after Jonah. Not the Assyrians. They were just a byproduct. So the word hesed is found in a great number of the Psalms also. Now, the scriptures say much about God's attribute of kindness and loving kindness. What is said about God's kindness is as follows. In 1 Kings 3, 6, Solomon declares to God his great kindness for giving David a son to sit on the throne. So once again, you see here the use here of kindness is not just a negative someone in need, but it's on the positive side. Nehemiah says God is ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. In Nehemiah 9, 17, God tells Israel in Isaiah 54, 8 and 10, that his wrath was for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will have mercy on them. 
Isaiah 54, 10. And though the mountains depart and the hills remove, his kindness shall not. Joel declares in Joel 2, 13. So rent your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord Yahweh your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great, and here it is, kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Always when these words that we're looking at, these attributes of, of mercy and kindness it's, and graciousness, God is seeking to turn the sinner from his sin patiently, lovingly, following is said about God's loving kindness. David declares to God that he never conceals God's loving kindness in Psalm 40, verse 10. David in Psalm 31, 21 tells God how he has shown him his marvelous kindness in a strong city. Psalm 63, 3, kindness what was what captured the mind of David in the temple. Because our loving kindness, I'm sorry, our loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. In Psalm 103.4, David says that after God redeems our life from destruction, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Jeremiah 31.3 speaks for God to Israel, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness, there it is, I have drawn you. Jeremiah 32.19, he shows loving kindness to thousands of generations. He never gets impatient. He never grows weary. He never is overtaken by his wrath. He's always seeking to display his grace, his kindness, his pity, his compassion. The New Testament also provides an abundant record about God's attribute of kindness. And there in the Greek, the word kindness in the, it has the idea of usefulness, excellence, and gentleness. Paul uses the word to describe the kindness of God to draw a man to repentance, but it's translated goodness. It says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? There it is. Forbearance and loving kindness, not knowing that the goodness, there it is, of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That's the attribute right there in the Greek. Amazing. Paul tells the Romans in Romans eleven twenty two. Therefore, consider the goodness, that's the word, and severity of God on those who fell. Severity. But towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. Who is he talking about that he just cut off? Israel. And he went after the Gentile. He's talking to the Gentile. If I cut Israel off, you be careful I don't cut you off. What do you do with eternal security, ladies and gentlemen? What do you do with your John Calvin doctrine? You just ignore it? 
You can't eat it. The scripture is, is a standard, not a man-made doctrine. Paul says to the Corinthians that as ministers of God, they commended themselves to many virtues and sufferings. One of them was by kindness, there it is, of the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. 2 Corinthians 6.6. 6. One of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Galatians 5.22. God is seen as demonstrating the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness, there's the word, towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2. Seven, we are commanded as the elect of God, holy and beloved, to put on tender mercies, kindness, there it is again, towards one another, Colossians 3.12. Paul tells Titus that after the kindness, there it is, and love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, he regenerated us, Titus 3.4. So while kindness as an attribute is communicated to us, we are also able to impart this to others. So those uh, attributes, they're incommunicable, that only God possesses, but these are communicable to bless us that we might impart them to others also. But that's always the struggle that we don't mind God being kind, gracious, and merciful, and pitiful towards us, and and all, but uh, it's when we have to dish it out to others. Uh, those that say, well, you don't understand what they did. What, what, what did you do against God? Not one person in this building can ever say that a person has sinned against you more than you have sinned against God. Not one of us. And God has forgiven you and has never mentioned your sins again. And you won't, when you fail tonight again, <laughs> and you truly mean genuine repentance, God's not going to say, okay, this is the last time, man. But he looks at your heart. Wow. Remember the book of Ruth, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he, blessed be uh, he of the, uh, of the Lord Yahweh, who has not forsaken his kindness, there it is, to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation to ours, one of our close relatives, talking about Boaz, Ruth 20, verse 20. That God had been merciful kindness by having a kingsman go out to redeem the property and marry Ruth and take up seed and name it after the dead husband so his seed and his name would not die out. Wow. This is the um, moral attribute of kindness that is communicable and it is also to be imparted 
to others because it's been imparted to us. Simple. The third one is patience. The attribute of God's patience is the attribute referring to his long-suffering, if you will. His endurance or waiting as a determination of his will. Not a necessity, but of his knowledge and choice. Mercy pities the creature. Kindness imparts to the creature. Patience bears with the creature without taking vengeance immediately by reason of anger or vengeance. Exodus 34, 6 again, the Lord Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Exodus 34, 6. In Numbers 14, 18, the Lord Yahweh is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Iniquity is like sin because we're sinners. We miss the mark. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. Transgression is a willful disobedience. You're walking down the street and you accidentally cross some people's property and you don't know because there's no signs up. They come up and say, hey, what are you doing with my property? I didn't know it was your property. Forgive me. A transgression is there's a big sign there. Private property. And you say, who cares? And you climb the fence. That's a transgression. You know you're doing wrong. So there's a distinction between sin and transgression. In Psalm 86, 15, But you, O Lord Yahweh, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. We might refer to patience as the power of self-restraint. Having all power to destroy immediately, yet does not. Having all the reason to consume us, for he is holy, yet he exercises loving wisdom. Having all the knowledge to condemn us, yet he patiently waits to justify us. Wow. The attribute of omnipotence, all power, omnipresence, you can be everywhere at the same time, and omniscience, all knowledge, holiness, foreknowledge, knowledge before the fact, goodness, mercy, um, all kindness, uh, and kindness allows God to be the most patient person in existence. So whenever we make a judgment on God's attributes or his actions or his declarations and we think that it's not fair or just, guess who is wrong? We're wrong. He is the epitome of perfection without sin or failure. He's always in control of all things without violating man's free will through his patience. That baffles us. That confuses us. That sometimes it angers people. Well, don't worry about it. If you get to heaven, it'll all come to you in an in immediate instant when you're present there. If you don't make it to heaven, 
then you can ask him on the judgment day. But he will not be apologizing. Or say, well, you know, you're right, I was wrong. It's just not going to happen. For he is always long-suffering to manifest the ultimate patience with every person. The Old Testament is full of examples of God's long-suffering and patience as well as the New Testament. The word patient in relationship to God's attribute does not appear in the Old Testament, but the word long-suffering appears in evidence of God's patience. The days of Noah give us a vivid picture of God's patience as Noah preached for 120 years. 1 Peter 3.20 tells us in the New Testament commentary. Now, how long would you have waited if you knew no one else was going to believe except the eight that believed at the beginning? I would have smoked them. I would have brought that flood the next hour. But God waited 120 years that no one would ever be able to charge God of being impatient or unrighteous or controlled by his wrath. The patience of God is seen in the constant rebellion of Israel from the time they exited Egypt. How long would you have put up with Israel? (laughs) They charged Moses as well as God of leading them out to destroy them in the wilderness right after the, 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 dead, the Red Sea in Exodus 17, right after they crossed it. Didn't take long. They made him worship a golden calf at the foot of Sinai as Moses was receiving the law up in the mountain in Exodus 32. They refused to enter the promised land at Kadesh Barnea for fear and lack of faith in Numbers 13 and 14, believing that They would be destroyed. So God says, you're going to take the longest death march you've ever taken as a nation, 38 years. And when you die, everybody over the age of 20, your children are going to inherit the land. Wow. Acts 13, 18 says, now for a time of 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Patience. The period of the judges wearied the patience of God. But he dealt with them severely. And as they repented, he was merciful and kind. It was his long-suffering, his patience. The evil heart of Saul to destroy David patiently waited for judgment. David learned from his God, 1 Samuel 31. God would take care of it. He would take care of Saul. How about King Manasseh, the most wicked king of Israel? He repented in captivity, and he came to know the Lord, and God brought him back in 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 33, and he tore down the altars. The most evil king 
born to Hezekiah in the extension of his life for 15 years. God has his perfect will and his permissive will. Hezekiah should have just gone home. Manasseh would have never been born. Wow. The patience of God towards Israel's unfaithfulness before sending them into captivity is tremendous. The book of Jeremiah. 52, just to give you a taste. The long-suffering of God after the captivity as the people had once again joined themselves to the Gentile women in Nehemiah 13. And therefore, they had to adjoin themselves to idolatry again, though everybody says that the Babylonian captivity cured Israel of idolatry. I don't believe that. Read the book of Nehemiah. Read the book of Ezra. And the ones that were most guilty were the priests, <laughs> the leaders. The children spoke half the language of Ashdod and the language of the Hebrew. Wow. And if you marry pagan women, you're going to worship their gods. And if not, you're tolerating them. Now, the New Testament uses basically three words for patience. One is hupomono, or moni, which is made up of two words, and it appears 32 times in the New Testament. The first word is hupo, which means under, endurance, um, constancy. The second is moni, which means to abide. The word means steadfastness and constancy regarding the obstacle and difficulty. Paul, in waiting or writing to the Romans, calls God the God of patience and comfort. May he grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus in Romans 15.5. Now these are attributes that can be communicated from us to others. The second word is macrothumia. It also is made up of two words, and it appears 14 times in the New Testament. The first macro, and I'm sure you figure out macro, means long. You have micro and macro, right? For, it means long forbearance or fortitude. The second word, thumos, means temper. So the word means to be slow in avenging or retaliation. Paul mentioned it as a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering in Galatians 5, 22. Then there's the third word, macrothumio, a different form, spirited and appears Ten times in the New Testament, it means to be long spirit, not to lose heart. The author to the Hebrew says that God made a promise to Abraham. It says, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, Hebrews 6.15. 
The patience of God is seen towards the unbelieving world in their unbelief, mockery, and abomination. If you read Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. Unclean thoughts, vile affections, reprobate minds. There's a threefold spiral downward. God is very patient. God gives them up to debased minds. It describes there the corruption of creation, worshiping of creation rather than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. Corrupting the natural use of men for women, rather having men for men, women for women. And many other things. Nothing new under the sun. That's describing Genesis in man's history to the present. It's characteristic of the end times in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. God demonstrates his long suffering towards Israel through Paul's life. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 says, as Paul always went to the Jew first, to the synagogue, and when they rejected him, then he went to the Gentiles. The promise of God is seen towards the believer in our attitudes, our carnality, a lack of discipline, our lack of prayers, our lack of love towards each other, and the lack of faithfulness to the backslider. The believer has a responsibility in that which he has received to give it out. We are commanded to be patient. We are commanded to have patience. We are commanded to see the value of patience, to be patient towards all men. Our Lord told his disciples, by your patience, Possess your souls, Luke 21, 19. The Father is the source of patience, Romans 15, 5 tells us. Jesus is the example of patience as he stood before Pilate. Pilate thought he was judging the Son of God. Really, Pilate was on trial. Not Jesus. Jesus, the example of patience so many other times. The Holy Spirit is the agent of patience. Galatians 5.22. Colossians 3.12-14. God has been patiently waiting for almost 2,000 years not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Like in the days of Noah, 120 years, not more than 2,000 years after he pronounced judgment over the nation of Israel. And he said he would regather the nation in the last days, May 14, 1948. Israel declared their independence for the third time. Never has there been a nation, a race, a people who has recovered after not having a homeland under such severe 
persecution for 2,000 years, the only answer to the existence of the nation of Israel is God and his faithfulness, his patience, his kindness, his mercy. And so this is the moral attribute of patience that is communicable and imparted to us that we might impart it to others. These are the final three attributes. As I said, they're not exhaustive, but about 18 that will keep you busy. You can look up more yourself. Mercy, kindness, and patience. I pray the Lord just deal with our hearts as we've studied the God of the Bible and his attributes. And that you realize that in understanding the attributes that much of heresy, much of bad doctrine can be exposed by knowing the attributes of God. Otherwise, all you're going to do is swap scriptures and stack them. The attributes of God will expose heresy more than anything else because it deals with the nature and the character of God. And so may God give us wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We thank you for tonight. Thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy, your pity, your everything, Lord, towards us. Help us to be more like you, Lord, as we grow in the knowledge of your Son and as we uh, yield ourselves, reckoning the old man dead, Lord, that, Lord, we would put on your mind and be a servant like you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sin, or maybe you're over the internet or rather on the radio somewhere in the world. If you believe that Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins on the cross and rose from the dead, then the Bible says you can be saved. You can call upon him to forgive you, to give you a new heart, a new mind, a new nature by receiving him and being born again. This is by grace through faith that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You don't deserve it, just like I did not deserve it. It's God's mercy, his grace. And so if you want to be born again, it's a simple prayer of repentance. Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I will deny you. It's just that simple. And so if you want to accept them, this is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.